Okay, this morning uh, we're going to be continuing the series that we started last week, uh, looking at the subject of how God uses people. And we saw last week uh, that, that God has, has given us stuff. We, we focused on looking at the things that God's given us. We saw that God has, has made each one of us unique. He's given each of us a unique set of gifts and abilities, of passions, personality and experiences. And uh, this week we're going to be thinking about how he intends us to use what he's given us. Because uh, one day each one of us is going to stand before God and he's going to have some serious questions to ask us. Uh, the first question he's going to ask us is this. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? He's not going to ask, uh, were you a good person? He's not going to ask, what religion were you? He's going to ask, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? I sent him to be your Lord and Saviour. What did you do with that? That's the most important question he's going to ask. Uh, But this morning we're going to think about another question that he's going to ask us, and that's this. He's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? And we see in this passage that we're looking at this morning, that it's it's an important question. It's related to that first question. In fact, our answer to this question can reveal our answer to the first question. So it's an important one for us to think about. And we're going to do it by looking at uh, the parable of the talents. So if you want to reopen your Bibles at Matthew 25, I'll just pray for us as we look at this together. Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. As we look at your word together, we can hear your voice. We pray that you, by your spirit, will give us ears to hear. And we pray that your word might have an impact in our lives. Give us supple hearts to be changed by it. That we might leave here, having been transformed, as your spirit takes your word and applies it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm not going to do a full exposition of this passage, but I'm just going to draw out some principles from it, some principles that help us to think about this topic of uh, using whatever God gives you. And uh, the first principle is this. You don't own anything. Everything you have really belongs to God. See this parable, uh, in this parable, Jesus likens life to a man who goes on a journey and he leaves his property with his servants. Uh, And the key thing here is that it's the master's property. It doesn't belong to the servants. He just entrusts it to them for a while and then when he returns he takes it back. And that's what our life on earth is like. We, uh, we enter this world with nothing and we'll leave it with nothing. Everything we have really belongs to God. He made it, he owns it, and he just loans it to us. It wasn't yours before you were born, it won't be yours after you die. You've just got it for this short time that you're on earth. See, Genesis says that God created everything. He made it, he maintains it, he owns it. But then he created human beings with a special responsibility to to look after what he'd made, to be stewards of creation, to manage it. 
God says, I want you to manage what is mine. But don't forget that I own it. It's not yours. You're just looking after it for me. And so we get, to, we get to use whatever interests to us. We get to benefit from it. We get to enjoy it. But we must make sure that our grip on it is not too tight. We've got to hold it with an open hand because it doesn't really belong to us. And I really want to just emphasise this first principle because it is so easy for us to forget. The summer before last, uh, Claire and I went to China for a, for a month or so and while we were away, we lent our brand new car to a friend of ours. It was Jez, actually, some of you know him. And uh, we said, look, you're welcome to, to use it as much as you want. Just, just make sure you look after it, and then when we return, we'll take it back. Uh, now, now, suppose Jez started using the car, he's really careful, and he cleaned it every week, checked the oil, uh, drove really carefully. But then, after a while, he just, he just got used to it. And he stopped bothering to clean it. And uh, he stopped bothering to drive it carefully. And uh, he thought, oh, I don't like the stereo. And he put his own stereo in. And the car started to fill up with pizza boxes and McDonald's wrappers. This, this didn't happen, by the way. Jez was very careful. But suppose it did. And suppose we came back from China and said, right, can we have our car back? And suppose he says, no, it's mine. I've been using it. It's parked outside my house. It's full of my junk. It's mine. Well, we'd think that was stupid, wouldn't we? But we do it with God all the time. We think that just because we're using it, just because we've got possession of it for this short time, just because we've messed around with it, we think it belongs to us. But it doesn't. It's just a loan. And I think if we, if we really grasp this truth, it would change our lives. For one thing... It, it would, we wouldn't stress so much about stuff. Why? Because we don't tend to get too worried about other people's things. If your colleague at work gets a dent in their car, do you worry about it? No. If you get a dent in your car, do you worry about it? Yes. Why? Because it belongs to you. Imagine if you were able to say, God, you got a dent in your car today. <laughs> That's too bad. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, suddenly it doesn't seem so important anymore, and it shouldn't because the Bible tells us that life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. It's not about stuff. The most important things in life are not material things. But so often we, we miss that because we just spend so much time and energy worrying about our possessions. And the more we think, the more we think we own what God has lent us, then the more materialistic we get, the tighter our grip on it is, the more we worry about protecting it, keeping it, making it, making sure no one steals it, making sure we preserve it, and the less likely we are to risk putting it to use for God. But if we realise that we don't own anything, that everything we have really belongs to God, then we can stop trying to, to hoard it and to protect it and to grasp it and we can start using it, we can start spending it, we can start investing it in the purpose for which God gave us it. And that is the starting point for using whatever God gives you. Realising that you don't own it, it belongs to God in the first place.
Okay, so that's the first principle. Second principle is this. Everything you have, uh, God has given you everything you have. Last week we talked about how we were, we were designed for a purpose. God has, uh, has prepared in advance good works for you to do. Well, God's also equipped you for that purpose. Now, in this parable, uh, the word talent simply means an amount of money. Uh, I don't know, we don't know exactly how much it is. The NIV's footnote says that it's several hundred pounds, but most commentators reckon that's, that's a conservative estimate. Most people think it's much more than that, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of pounds. Anyway, the idea is it's a lot of money. And our word talent, meaning sort of an ability, something we're good at, comes from this parable. And because of that, it's so easy for us to think that that's what this parable is about. It's about uh, our abilities, uh, the things that we're good at. But actually, Jesus intends for us to think much wider than that. Actually, Jesus is thinking about not just our talents, but everything that God has given us that we can use to serve him and to serve others. And we looked at some of those things last week. We saw that God's given us gifts, he's given us abilities, he's given us uh, personality, he's given us passions, he's given us experiences. But he's also given us a lot of other stuff. He's given us uh, money, time, energy, resources, opportunities. See, God doesn't just give us a job to do and then sort of not equip us to do it. But he gives us everything we need to do the purpose that he has for us. And I want us to just notice two things that this parable teaches us about what God's given us. Firstly, what what he gives differs from person to person. So God doesn't give to everyone equally. And you see that in the parable, don't you? One person gets five talents, one gets two talents, one gets one talent. And that just reflects the reality that we see in the world. That some people are given more than others. The very fact that that you guys are living in this country puts you miles ahead of most of the world. You've got uh, privileges and opportunities that others dream of. So while everyone is equal in value, they are not equal in terms of what God has given them. The fact is that there are people who have been given more than you and there are people who have been given less than you. But what matters is not what other people have got, but what you do, what you've been given. And secondly, everyone receives something. So in the parable, everyone gets at least one talent. And remember, that was a lot of money. So God doesn't invest equally, but he does invest generously. So there's no such thing as a a no-talent person. God's given everyone something that they can use to make a difference. So maybe uh, you think you've got nothing to offer. Well, it's not true. We can't use that excuse that that I'm useless, I can't do anything. God has given you all sorts of things. Skills, abilities, friendships, opportunities, relationships. Maybe you don't even recognise that these are gifts from God. But they are. And God wants you to use them to serve him and to serve others. So you don't own anything. God has given you everything you have. And thirdly, God expects you to use what he's given you. God's made an investment in each one of us and he expects a return on that investment. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
I said last week, God doesn't waste anything. He's given you all this stuff because he intends for you to use it. He intends for you to use it to make a difference. God's not indifferent about how we live our lives. And we notice from this parable that it's not sufficient just to keep a clean clean slate. We can't just sort of uh, go through life and, and try not to mess things up and think that's good enough. It's not good enough just to keep a clean sheet. God wants us to make a positive contribution with what he's given us. Now God won't, he won't force you to do that. He won't force you to do his will or to uh, live out the purpose that he designed you for. He, he gives you freedom to choose. And if you want, you can choose to do your own thing. You can choose to waste your life. But one day you are going to have to uh, explain that to God. One day he's going to call you to account and they'll ask you, to, why did you choose to do your thing instead of what I created you for? And he'll ask you, why, why did you choose not to do anything with what I gave you? What you do with life matters. Now in this parable, uh, there's two contrasting responses to these three principles. And uh, the focus in the parable is on, on the third servant, so we're going to focus on that as well. But just briefly... We'll have a think about these first two faithful servants. There's an inscription on a gravestone in Woolwich Cemetery which reads, Sacred to the memory of Major James Brush, killed by the discharge of a pistol by his orderly, 14th of April, 1831. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, I thought it was funny. Now, unlike that servant, the, the faithful servants in this story, they, they do what they were intended to do. They used what God gave them, what the master gave them. Uh, the one had five talents, he earned five more. The one who had two talents, he went out and he earned two more. Now, the thing I want you to notice here is that each of them get exactly the same commendation. Both of them are called good and faithful servants. Both of them are promised greater privilege and greater responsibility because they were faithful with a few things. And both of them are invited to join the master's happiness. So you see, what what mattered was not how much they got in the first place. What mattered was not how much they made. What mattered was that they were faithful with what was given to them. They used what the master gave them. But that's in great contrast with the third servant. Look at verse 18. But the man who had received the one talent went off, took a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So this guy, he didn't use what he was given. And when the master finds out, he's angry. Verse 26, you wicked and lazy servants. God is angry when people don't use what he's given them. God says, I gave you this and I expect you to use it. And it's not... uh, Oops, that's a shame, I didn't make the most of that. But it's wicked, it's evil. God says, I gave you something, I expect you to use it. I expect you to make the most of your life. And there's two things I want us to learn from this unfaithful servant about how we're to use whatever God gives you. First thing is this. You can't please God by playing it safe. See, this third servant, he plays it safe. 
He's cautious. He's conservative. He's scared of losing this talent. So he buries it. He hides it. Now the problem with that is that you can't trust God if you don't take any risks. Trust is faith. And one of the key things that, that, that God wants us to learn in life is to trust him. It's one of the central aspects of, of becoming mature as a Christian. But we can't do it if we always play safe. See, if you don't take any risks in life, if you don't uh, do anything that stretches you, then you don't require any faith. And if you don't require any faith in life, then you are being unfaithful. The Bible says that faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. God says, I want, I want you to learn to trust me. I want you to have faith in me. It's one of the great lessons of life. But we can only do it if we step out in faith. We can only do it if we take a risk, if we're adventurous, if we do something that's going to take us out of our comfort zone. See, God would rather we attempted something for him and perhaps failed than never do anything. He doesn't require a great success story from us. He just requires a willingness to take a risk on his behalf. To try something and fail isn't a sin, but to fail to try is a sin. Now maybe uh, this morning there are steps that you know that you need to take. Steps that uh, require faith. Steps that will take you outside of your comfort zone. And so far you've just been feeling like this uh, unfaithful servant. You've been feeling scared. You want to just play it safe. You've been thinking, nothing ventured, nothing lost. Maybe God's given you a talent, uh, but you're afraid to use it in some area of service because you know the sacrifice that that will make on your time and energy. Or maybe you're just scared that you'll not succeed. Or maybe God's given you a, a friendship, but you, you always shy away from talking about your faith because you don't know how they'll react. Or maybe, God, or maybe you've just never committed to giving financially to God's work because you're worried about how you'll get by. Well, look, if you've got talents or friendships or money, it is because God has given you them. And he wants you to use them to build his kingdom. He wants you to step out. He wants you to take a risk. He wants you to demonstrate faith. Don't be afraid to rock the boat if Jesus is in it with you. So you can't please God by playing it safe. Secondly, don't waste what you're given. You see, which, which of these three servants is the one that does nothing? Well, it's the one with the one talent. Why is that, do you think? Why is it not, uh, why is it not the one with the five talents? Why is it not the one with the two talents? Jesus wants to say something particularly to one-talent people. They, are, they have a particular danger of wasting what God's given them. They have a particular danger of wasting what God's given them. And the danger is this. The danger is thinking, well, I'm not a superstar, so I'm not going to try. Now, people might, might not vocalise that, but they think it all the time. They think, because, because there's someone more gifted, because there's someone more talented, because there's someone more enthusiastic than me, 
I'm just going to leave them to do the work and I'll just keep out of their way. Because there's someone who, who plays the piano better than me, I'm not going to play. Because there's someone who writes better than me, I'm not going to write. Because there's someone who leads better than me, I'm not going to lead. And that's what this servant thinks. Look at his complaint in verse 25. It says, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. So he's saying to the master, you, you, can't, you can't expect much from me. I didn't have anything to work with. You didn't give me enough. You're trying to gather where you've not scattered seed. You're harvesting where you've not sown. If you'd given me five talents like that guy, or if you'd given me two talents like that other guy, then I'd have done something. We talked about this last week, didn't we, about how uh, it's, it's easy for us to, to fail to accept ourselves because we're always comparing ourselves with the people around us. So we think, oh, I've got nothing to offer. What difference can I make? If only I was as gifted as that person, or if only I was more like him or more like her, if only I was as talented as him, if only I was uh, as intelligent as her, then I wouldn't be scared to step out for God. But look, when you get to heaven, God is not going to say to you, why weren't you more like him? Or why weren't you more like her? He's going to say, why didn't you accept who I made you to be and use what I gave you? He's not going to compare you with other people. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Now, over the past few months, God has really uh, used this parable to speak to me quite powerfully. When I started this job uh, with the church, I was always thinking things like this. I was comparing myself with, myself with other people and just thinking, well, I've got nothing to contribute. For example, uh, I found myself really not wanting to preach. And I was saying things to God like this. God, if you'd given me five talents worth of a preaching gift, then I'd have no problem getting up there and preaching. If, if you made me able to preach like Peter Cormont, then I'd, I'd do it all the time. But, uh, but God took me to this parable and it just really liberated me. It helped me to see that, that God doesn't expect me to preach like Peter Cormont. He doesn't expect me to be more than he made me capable of being. He just wants me to accept how he's made me and to use what he's given me. So maybe you're a one-talent person. So what? What God wants to know is, did you use it? You don't have to be the best in the world. You just have to be the best that God made you to be, given the talents and the experiences and the opportunities and the privileges that he gave you. Just because there's someone more talented than you doesn't mean you've got an excuse. Just because you can't be the best doesn't mean that you can do nothing. What God cares about is, are you making the most of what I gave you and who I made you to be? I don't have to be the best assistant pastor in the world. I just have to be the best assistant pastor that I can be. I don't have to be the best husband in the world. I just have to be the best husband that I can be. And you don't have to be the best teacher or the best doctor or the best businessman in the world 
You just have to be the best one that God gave you the talents and the resources to be. This guy in the parable, he, he ends up blaming the master. And maybe you've been doing the same with God. If only you'd made me better at this. If only you'd made me more like him. If only you'd given me more opportunities, Lord. Well, God says, who are you blaming? I'm not asking you to be someone else. I knew what I was doing when I made you. And I planned you to be you. I don't want to know what you would have done if you'd have been him or what you would have done if you'd have been her. I don't want to know what you would have done if I'd have given you this or given you that. I want to know what are you doing with what I've given you? You don't own anything. Everything you have belongs to God. He's given you everything you have and he wants you to use it in risky, adventurous service for him. And we don't know when the master's coming back. We can't just keep putting this off and thinking, well, we'll get this sorted in the future. If he came back today, what would you have to show him? What would you say when he asks? What did you do with what I gave you? Let's pray.